So we're going to begin a new series of studies this morning, messages for the month of January, based on the theme of uh, turning faith inside out. And uh, I'll unpack that idea for you in just a few moments. Uh, the series is going to be based on, uh, along with the devotional readings that I mentioned during 21 Days of Alignment, it's going to be based on the third, fourth, and fifth chapters of 2 Corinthians. And really this text today, uh, chapter 4, verses 13 to 15, is the heart of the theme, turning faith inside out. Uh, but as you'll see over the next couple of weeks, really everything that Paul has to say in these three chapters revolves around this idea of speaking for Jesus. So as I shared with you last Sunday, when we had God's service uh, together, the fifth Sunday of December, um, one of the goals that I feel like the Lord has put on my heart for our life together this year is that we would practice and be prepared uh, to share our God story with those you know, in, our, in our sphere of influence. And so uh, what I intend to do, what I plan on, is have one person share, by way of example, their own God story, like a two-minute summary of their relationship with the Lord, how this made himself real to them every Sunday for this year. And so to launch us uh, in that practice this week, uh, I've invited our worship ministry leader, Michael Demas, to share his God story with us. And this is uh, by way of introduction to the theme of turning faith inside out. So let's give Michael our full attention. Well, my God story is a few years old, and I might be breaking the rules a little bit, but I feel like God laid this out of my heart to share with you as a story that doesn't necessarily make me look good, but God has taught me a lot through it. So most of you know I come from a large family. There's 12 of us kids that my parents have had. And each Christmas, we do a gift exchange where we will buy, uh, we'll draw names, and we'll, um, for Christmas, we'll buy a gift for somebody. And so I think that kind of helps you with gifts, I'm not sure. Um, what this is kind of like maybe is the parable of the persistent widow, how that was designed. Jesus told his disciples that, so that they would always pray and never lose heart. So this is kind of, it serves for me as a reminder to follow God. Um, we just saying, your word is a lamp unto my feet. So I was 14 a few years ago, and me and a few of my siblings and my mom were in the mall, the Virgin Mall. We huddle up in the middle of the mall, and my mom gives each of us some money to buy for our person. And she says, you know, deliberately, as I'm, I've learned to listen a little bit better since I was that age. I think my hearing may have improved, or maybe I've just learned too much that it's important. So I heard what she said, and as soon as I had done wrong, I remembered. But the problem was that I didn't take it seriously enough. Maybe it wasn't that I was listening, it just I wasn't completely obedient. As we're huddling, my mom, I might be exaggerating a little bit here. I don't think we really huddled, but <clears throat> makes it more exciting. So she tells me this money you spend it on Stephen. And I had something in mind for him, but he needed something else. 
um, you know, to make it special. So the she says, and this is of course the part that I caught, anything that you have left of this, if you see something you want for yourself, you can use it on you. And so of course, I kind of latched onto that, which was not good. And I beelined to my favorite store, found a pair of jeans that didn't even fit me, <laughs> and of course were returned very soon after. Um, but I bought them just kind of impulsively and realized I hardly had any money left for Steven, who got a wall calendar. <laughs> it was a Norman Rockwell wall calendar. And you know, he didn't like Norman Rockwell, so but um, it wasn't the caliber of gift that I should have put time and, and effort into making special. So I kind of, with hand between my legs, approached my family after we had, you know, divided and conquered the mall, and um, was scolded, of course. My mom's always very grace, gracious and, and uh, kind, but I, I know I did return the jeans, and I think she helped me buy it there, like probably a few days later. Um, but that story has reminded me, I need to not just hear or even listen well, but I need to allow that to change what I do. I went to my favorite store first when I knew if I had paid more attention and really cared about what was going on like I should have. Um, my, my mom was the authority in that instance. So just like my mom told me, buy for your, your person first. And then if something's left over, you can have fun with it. I need to allow God to direct my path. And it's safe to say with, with being married in 83 days, um, he is, God is leading me into being a spiritual leader. I am a worship leader. And I want to be somebody that constantly knows I'm following the Lord. And so you guys can pray for me in that way. Um, and uh, I think that's kind of one of the biggest things on my heart is um, just wanting the Lord to direct my steps. So that's good pray for me in that way. I'm going to invite uh, DJ, who was our worship leader for many, many years. And uh, it just happens that we pray for one of our 12 ministries each month of the year. And so this month, our prayer focus is our worship ministry and uh, all the team members that are involved under Micah's leadership. So I've invited each to just bless him and pray with him for Micah as he leads this team in our worship. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. desire to honor you, to please you, to seek after you, to seek righteousness, to be able to have a listening heart for And we know that talents are such a gift for you, the talent to be able to, uh, to play, to be able to sing, Lord, but so much greater, Lord, so much deeper, Lord, is your desire for your people to lay down their talents, to be able to seek you and seek your will. Seek your purposes. 
So we look like Mike, his desire to hear and listen and to and to follow through or with what you're saying. Grant him the desire of his heart. Bless his ministry. Bless the ministry, the worship ministry that you have. That people will begin to enter into your presence because of what we're doing. We're not just singing the song. We're experiencing your presence, Lord Jesus. Bless him. Use him. And protect him. I pray for protection over his mind, over his heart, as an enemy of the desire to take that away from him. Protect him. Stand guard over him. We lift him up to you, Lord. We pray. Okay. Lord, we thank you that behind and beneath his role as a ministry leader is a genuine relationship with you. And that that relationship comes out of a life, you know, a family or godly uh, parents and siblings. I thank you, Lord, for uh, that legacy of faith that's been passed down to Micah and the way that he's taken that upon himself and owned it for his own life. Thank you, Lord, for all that you've done to make yourself real to him and how you've drawn him, Lord, into a relationship with you that continues to grow, continues to go deeper. Lord, we pray, um, as much as we pray for his role as our ministry leader in, in the realm of worship, God, we pray for his heart, for his mind, for his spirit, Lord, to continue to go deeper with you. And that even in the secret place, when he's not on stage, Lord, that his heart would be devoted to you and that he would be a true worshiper. Even Christ. We bless him. We thank you for this brother and that you've brought him here to connect with us and to serve his body. In Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus on this subject, 
uh, in Luke and in fact in several of the Gospels, he's quoted as saying that it's out of the overflow of the heart that the mouth speaks. So this idea of turning faith inside out really begins with understanding that what you believe about Jesus, what you know to be true about him, how you know him internally is meant to be expressed so that it becomes external. That's what the idea of turning faith inside out amounts to. And so I want to actually begin this morning with an illustration of this that's a little different from a typical illustration that you've heard me share over the years if you've been part of this congregation. I've, uh, you know, it's probably the most difficult part of preaching is coming up with stories that illustrate what you're talking about. And uh, this particular illustration is not a story. It's actually a symbolic action. In fact, there are lots of examples of symbolic actions like this in scripture, particularly when people uh, that had some form of a, a prophetic ministry would do something under the guidance of God that would serve to illustrate what God was saying to his people. So here's what I want to do for you. Actually, I'm going to take my sweater off this morning, and at the risk of looking a little ridiculous, I'm going to turn it inside out and put it back on again. too much by looking uncrispy this morning. But I do this literally as a symbolic act. What I hope even is that it's more than that. That it's not just a metaphor for what I'm speaking of. My heart and my prayer this morning is that this action would be a prophetic symbol to you of what God wants to do in us. I believe with all my heart God is bringing us into a season where he wants to teach us, as individuals and as a body, how to turn our faith inside out. So this isn't just a message that's, you know, um, like, okay, well, I read this passage, and I think this is what it has to teach us. No, this is the, this is the burden of my heart. This, this series of messages and this focus on 2 Corinthians 3, 4, and 5, I believe, are from the Lord for this time in the life of our body here at CCD. So I want you to hear what I have to say and to see what I just did in that context. I want you to think of it as if this is the word of the Lord for us right now. So what does it mean for me to take my sweater off and turn it inside out? It means God is calling us, both as individual followers of Jesus and as a body, to turn our faith inside out. He wants what he's done for us and what lies hidden inside of each one of us to become evident, to be freely spoken to the world around us. 
So again, consider the text. Second Corinthians 4.13. It is written, I believe, therefore I have spoken. Since we have that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak. What this verse tells us again, is that there's a clear connection between what we believe and what we see, or there's meant to be. That connection is meant to be solid and unbreakable. Again, out of the overflow of the heart, Jesus said, the mouth speaks. So Paul is challenging us here. He's challenging his readers with the expectation that the spirit of faith within us, centered on the resurrection of Jesus, has to find expression in what we say to other people. Faith in Jesus is not just internal, it's meant to become external. What's on the inside has to come out through our mouths. And in this way, we, we turn our faith inside out. So there's a key question here. I hope perhaps you're already beginning to ponder it without even asking. The question is, what keeps us from doing this? What keeps you from speaking more freely about Jesus? Let me give you a couple suggestions for how you might answer that question, but you'll have to decide which one applies best to your own experience. Perhaps for some of us, it's, it's fear. I mean, let's be honest. We're afraid of what other people might think of us. Maybe it's rooted in insecurity about um, how others perceive you, and somehow that fear or insecurity can cause you not to speak when you think that someone might perceive what you have to say negatively. Or maybe it's just good old busyness and distraction. You're so wound up taking care of business with your job, with your family, with your home, whatever, you know, whatever other things take up your time and energy. You're so uh, preoccupied with those commitments that you just don't really think about this. You're not focused on it. You're not looking for opportunities. Busyness and distraction are a hurdle to be overcome. Or here's a third option, and this is the one that I think, I mean, you know, in some regard, they can all apply, right? And it may not just be one or the other, it may be a combination of these. But in my case, I can say, um, my challenge is I, I live in a Christian bubble, honestly. Like, and I, that's a figure of speech. But what I mean by that is that the vast majority of people that I interact with, because I'm a pastor, are, are already Christians. And so, for me, the challenge is isolation lack of opportunity. I have to go out of my way to find people that are not already church, already in relationship with the Lord, that I can share my story with. So, maybe there are other possibilities that I'm not thinking of, but in my mind, those are the big three. Fear and insecurity, busyness and distraction, or isolation and lack of opportunity. And so I put the question to you in this moment, which one is it for you? In fact, just for fun, let's, let's take a little straw poll. If you, if you feel like the biggest obstacle for you in terms of speaking of Jesus more freely is fear, 
and then security. Would you just raise your hand right now? Okay, pretty good number, I'd say. Uh, maybe 40% of us. How about the second one, business and distraction? Okay, you can raise your hand more than once, it's allowed. And then how about the third one, uh, isolation and lack of opportunity? Okay, not quite as many for that third option. Um, good, that's helpful, thank you. So, let me give you a little spin now on those three excuses, right? Let's be honest about this. We allow them to become excuses for us when in fact, I submit to you that's what, what's behind and beneath those things is a power that wants us to keep our mouths shut. Have you thought about this? Have you considered the possibility that your thoughts about why you shouldn't speak of Jesus more freely might not be good excuses? What if, perhaps, those thoughts are really from the adversary of God, whose schemes and weapons are designed to keep our mouths shut. Consider this. Friends, the enemy of God is the original author of the words, shut up. Keep your mouth shut. We're not allowed to say that phrase in our house, so my kids all go, Because <gasps> <laughs> they get scolded if they say that to one another. And the reason we've made that a rule is because it's a disrespectful phrase, honestly, uh, that um, people can try to use to you know, control someone else. And it's, it's not a, a good way to relate to one another. It's not healthy for a good family to use that phrase, at least in our context. We've, we found that to be true. But you know, uh, long before any person ever coined that phrase, I think that was the heartbeat of the enemy of God. I think he loves to do anything and everything he can to keep our mouths shut when it comes to Jesus. But the heart and will of God is clear. And Paul, you know, really couldn't be much more clear about it than he is in verse 13. We believe, therefore, we speak. The two are meant to be connected. It may seem embarrassing or intimidating. There may be lots of you know, reasons why we don't want to do that, we don't feel like doing that. But you can't argue with the fact that God's word instructs us to do it. To be will willing and ready to open our mouths for Jesus whenever opportunity presents itself. The call of God on the life of every genuine follower of Jesus is that we would turn our faith inside out by speaking of Jesus, what he's done for us, how he's touched and changed our lives. So in my opinion, and I think that this is you know, true from scripture, that it's really never a question of whether we should speak or shouldn't speak. It's really a question of what to speak and when speaking. God's called us to speak on behalf of Jesus. And we have to pray for guidance about 
what to say and how to say it. So let's talk a little more specifically then about that because that's really where verse 14 leads us as we follow the thinking of Paul, the apostle here. Verse 14 brings us to the insight of what to speak of. And really, it, it, it amounts to this. Paul's saying to speak of Jesus isn't to answer every possible question that someone might have. It's simply telling your own story of how Jesus has changed your life for the better. Like we just heard Micah do. And last week we had several great examples of how this works. What I want to do for you, if I can here, is to try to lower the bar and make this concept more accessible. Because I think, again, you know, another one of the excuses that we might agree can be problematic for us is that we make this more complicated than it really needs to be. We think to ourselves, well, I don't have all the theological answers. I don't know everything that someone might ask me. And we get intimidated about uh, not knowing enough and we focus on what we don't know instead of focusing on what we do know. Hello? Anyone? Can you relate to this? What Paul's calling us to here is to speak of what we do know. And you all know something. Every single one of us knows something about Jesus or we wouldn't be in a relationship with him. Right? So look at what Paul says here. 2 Corinthians 4, I'm going to pick up at verse 13 because it's really one long sentence. And so verse 13 continues into verse 14. It is written, I believe, therefore I've spoken. Since we have that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak. Because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you to himself. So what's Paul saying? Well, for starters, he's saying, you know, you can only speak of what you know. You can't really speak effectively of what you don't know, but you can speak of what you do know. So what do we know? Well, what Paul says, he knows, and he's presuming that those of us who follow Christ with him also know the same thing is that Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead and has given us the hope of resurrection with him. I mean, basically, what he's saying is rooted in his own story and in his own experience. He's saying, I know Jesus is raised from the dead and that I'm going to be raised with him because I met him. He knocked me off my horse on the road to Damascus. I mean, you remember the story, right? This is perhaps one of the best-known God stories in all of Scripture. And I submit to you that it's so well-known, in part because not, Paul, Paul repeats it three times just in the book of Acts. I don't know when the last time you read the book of Acts was, but, but it's fascinating that you get the conversion story of Paul, and then you get to read it two more times in the book of Acts as he retells the story to the people that he's interacting with. This is an illustration of what I'm talking about. It's an example of the heartbeat that was behind Paul's ministry. He was eager to tell his story whenever he could. And so what's the story? I mean, fill in the blanks here. Paul was traveling on the road to 
Damascus, right? And he was riding a horse, and someone appeared to him. Who was it? Of course, Jesus appeared to him, the risen Lord Jesus. And uh, there was a, uh, what, what else did he see in that moment? A bright light, right, exactly. And what happened to him? He fell off his horse, okay? Fell off his horse, and what did Jesus say? Who remembers? Raise your hand if you remember what Jesus said to him. Right on. Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? He was on his way to Damascus to persecute the Christians there. Basically to you know, collect them and throw them in jail and torture them and execute them. And Jesus stops him in his tracks, packs him off his horse, blinds him temporarily until Ananias comes to pray for him and says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul was never the same. I mean, that experience rocked his world and changed his life forever. That's why he became the Apostle Paul, right? A whole shift in, in identity, in a mission occurred because Jesus, the risen Lord, made himself known to Saul. And Saul had a story to tell. And man, is it a good story. I mean, it's a powerful story, isn't it? So the point isn't just to think about Paul's story and how that story lies behind these verses we're reading in 2 Corinthians. The point is to inspire you to think about your own story. What do you have to say? How do you know that Jesus is true and real? How has he made himself known to you? Maybe he didn't knock you off your horse, but, but what has he done for you? How have you experienced the reality of the resurrected Lord? Why do you know this is true? What do you have to say about that? You see, there is a story, a God story, that lies within each and every one of us. The question is, are you ready to share that? Are you willing to share that? Are you, are you ready and willing to, to set aside every distraction, every hurdle, every, every excuse, so that you can speak what you believe. So think of it this way. Think of the difference between someone asking you if you know someone and asking you what you know about someone. There's a difference, right? Which one is more important? You can know a lot of things about someone and not really know them as in personally, relationally, know them. What Paul's calling forth in us here is to speak of what we know relationally. Not intellectually or theology, you know, theologically. I mean, those are good and important uh, pieces of the puzzle. And I, I'm not saying that we don't know anything intellectually or theologically or that we shouldn't be ready to share what we do know. But what's more important, what's the first priority, is that you would share what Jesus has done for you. The story of how he's touched your life. This kind of knowledge is, is intimate, it's relational knowledge. So for example, I can say I know a lot of things about 
a woman named Bethann Shoemaker. And I could describe her in some detail, but what's way more important than that is that I could say, I know her because we have a, a relationship. Now, I don't know her perfectly, I don't know everything there is to know, but I know her pretty well after 26 years of married life together. That's what I could speak to, right? I could speak to that far better and far more deeply than I could speak to anything intellectual about um, how she could be described. So what Paul is encouraging you to do, to think about, is this relational knowledge, this experiential knowledge that you have of the risen Lord Jesus Christ. How has he made himself real to you and known to you? What has he done to change your life? And then let that be the focal point of what you're ready to speak to others. How has he changed your life? What do you know to be true based on your own personal experience? That's what people want and need to hear about. And in fact, in this context, the quote I've, I heard many, many years ago from an old mentor of mine comes, comes back to mind, rushing in. I remember hearing these words at a conference uh, back in the early 90s, like you know, almost 30 years ago now. I remember Vineyard uh, pastor and speaker at this conference saying, a person with an experience of Jesus is never at the mercy of a person with a good argument against it. I mean, people can think that they have all the arguments in the world, but nobody can take away or undercut your own experience. Nobody can deny that you had that experience. Nobody can argue it away. So to the extent that you're willing to talk about how Jesus has changed your life, there's no refuting that. So when was the last time when was the last time you had an opportunity to speak to Jesus and your relationship with him to someone that needs to be introduced? Can you think of the last time? If you can't, it's time to go to work. Paul's story is a great example for us to learn from, but what it really does, I hope, is inspire us to prepare our own stories, to get ready for the opportunities that God would bring our way. I love here uh, the words of the Apostle Peter, who echoes the sentiments of Paul in 1 Peter 3.15. Listen to this. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Always be prepared. Matter of fact, maybe we, I'm, I'm not always a big fan of, you know, like, trying to save your neighbor, blah, 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 blah. I don't know why preachers do that all the time. But sometimes I think there is actually something powerful in saying something out loud and declaring in your mind that you want it to be true of you, right? So here's what I want you to do. I'm not going to ask you to turn and say this to your neighbor, but I'm going to ask you to repeat it after me out loud 
as a declaration of your own intentions. Are you ready? Always be prepared. Always be prepared. To give an answer. Give an answer. To everyone who asks you. Everyone who asks you. To give the reason. The hope that you have. The hope that you have. Amen. Amen. Let it be. Let it be true of us. So, what does that look like being prepared? What does that mean for you? To always be prepared. Well, as I've suggested already, and you'll see if you if you go to the devotional reading and the daily challenge for today, I'm believing that part of our preparation is to prepare a, a two-minute testimony or God story, like the one that Micah just shared this morning. And so I want to encourage you, if you've never done this before, to just take some time. This is your daily challenge for today, your sign-up for today, if you, you know, should you, your mission, should you choose to accept it, is to write a two-minute testimony that you can be prepared to share as the Lord gives you opportunity. Have you ever done that before? Have you ever taken time probably wouldn't take you more than a half an hour to do it. To just write out in short form a summary of what God has done to change your life. Now I'm not saying you have to memorize it word for word. I think there's you know some unique freedom and power in just being able to speak um, spontaneously as well. But it's really helpful to prepare this in advance and to think through what you want to say. What are the highlights? What are the key points that you want to make? How has God changed your life? What are the bullets? And then be ready to share about Jesus. Let me share with you an illustration, a God story in itself, from the book Blue Light Jazz by Donald Miller. He tells this uh, great story of an interaction that he had. Of course, he's, you know, as a Christian author and speaker, he has lots of opportunities to interact with all sorts of people. And so he probably gets those opportunities and is looking for them uh, routinely. And in the book, he tells the story of one particular opportunity where he was, he was doing a radio interview. And here's what he writes, because the, the interviewer was not a follower of Jesus. Miller writes, he asked me if I was a Christian. Now let me pause a second and just say, you know, Anybody ever asks you that and you, and you find in the moment that you actually have to hesitate? Uh, like you're, you're hesitating to say yes? Just, just go for it. Just go for it. He asked me if I was a Christian, and I told him, yes. Well then, why did you want to defend Christianity? He asked, confused. I told him, I no longer knew what the term meant. Of the hundreds of thousands of people listening to his show that day, some of them had terrible experiences with Christianity. They may have been yelled at by a teacher in a Christian school. They may have been abused by a minister. They may have been browbeaten by a Christian parent. To them, the term Christianity meant something that no Christian I know would defend. By fortifying the term, I'm only making them more and more angry. I won't do it. Stop 10 people on the street and ask them what they think of when they hear the word Christianity, and they'll give you 10 different answers. How can I defend a term that means 10 different things to 10 different people? 
So I told the radio show host that I would rather just talk about Jesus and how I came to believe that Jesus exists and that he likes me. Isn't that beautiful? The host looked back at me with tears in his eyes. When we were done, he asked me if we could go get lunch together. He told me how much he didn't like Christianity, but how he had always wanted to believe that Jesus was the Son of God. You know, a lot of people feel that way. A lot of people are resistant to the idea of Christianity because they have a misperception of what it is or because someone has poorly represented it to them. But many people that are resistant to Christianity are not resistant to Jesus. So instead of fearing questions about our own experience of Jesus, we've got to, we've got to get, get ourselves to the point where, where we can anticipate those questions and actually look forward to the opportunity to speak of Jesus. And that brings me then to one, one last insight to this morning from verse 15. I want to close this up with um, a final thought because really these three verses flow together and there's a clear connection between them and the insight from verse 15 is, is particularly helpful and motivational. It's really about the motivation that lies behind and beneath our readiness to speak. So here are these words, 2 Corinthians 4.15. All this, Paul says, referring back to what he's just explained, all this is for your benefit so that the grace of God that is reaching more and more people they cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Hello? Do you see what he's saying? This is for your benefit, that you would speak more freely of Jesus. And how is it to your benefit? That you might be able to give thanks because more and more people are coming to faith. You see, what happens is that when, when people hear Jesus spoken of in attractive and appealing ways, they're drawn a little closer. They may not take the plunge immediately. It may take a few interactions like that to move them closer to that point of decision. But the idea is that unless people speak of Jesus in positive ways, those who need to be introduced to him will never hear what they need to know to be able to move closer. Right? So the benefit, here's, here's my last insight, the benefit of speaking more freely of Jesus is the thanksgiving that results when more and more people respond. That's the goal. That's the desire. That's the, that's the heart of God. That more and more people would respond positively to Jesus. That more and more people would receive his grace over their lives. So Paul's words here in verse 15 make it clear that the value of speaking about faith in Jesus is not simply for the benefit of those who already share that faith. It's for the benefit of everyone who comes to faith as well. The real benefit of speaking more freely, Paul says, is that God's grace can thereby reach more and more people. That's the heart of God. 
Only in this way, as we speak about Jesus, can people be attracted to him and come to share faith with us. So think about it. Would you really like to see more and more people coming to faith in Christ? Anybody? I'm not seeing very many hands. That'd be scary. Okay, thank you. Just, just wanted to make sure. <laughs> you had me scared there for a minute. I mean, think about it. That's the heartbeat of God. That Jesus Christ would be made known to the world. And that as a result, more and more people would come to faith. More and more and more and more and more. Hello, Houston, you have a problem. Are you, are you seeing this yet? Mm, maybe a little. But not like more and more, right? I mean, I think that if, if ever there was a phrase that captures like the essence of what a revival is, that's the phrase. More and more people coming to faith in Christ. That's the heart of God. But it doesn't happen unless we open our mouths. So, if you're a follower of Jesus already, right, this, this should be a no-brainer. Of course we'd like to see more people share faith in Christ. Of course we'd like to see more people coming to church. Of course we'd like to see more people knowing Jesus and sharing Jesus. Of course. Why wouldn't we? Why wouldn't we want to see more people touched and changed by the grace of God? Why wouldn't we want that? Enjoying the benefits of a life-changing relationship with God through faith in Christ. So not only would that produce thanksgiving in them, right, because they've come to faith and come to appreciate what God has done for them, but then more and more people that come to faith, well, that produces thanksgiving in us because we have a hand in leading them there. We got the opportunity and the privilege to speak of Jesus in such a way that it actually had a positive impact in another person's life. But you never get the positive impact unless you take the risk of opening your mouth. So, let's be honest about this, right? Of course, not everyone who hears about Jesus will respond in faith. You're going to get some people that will look at you like you're crazy. So what? Why are you afraid of that? Let it go. But on the flip side, consider this. Those who never hear anything good about Jesus remain virtually incapable of responding to him in faith. I mean, there are a few exceptions. I think Paul's story is exceptional. Right? Jesus just showed up and knocked him off his horse. That doesn't happen every day with everybody, you know. But for the most part, for people to be drawn into a relationship with Christ, they have to hear about it in a positive way. They have to hear people like you and I talking about it as if he's actually a good thing. So let me share with you Paul's insight. Paul knew this. He knew how it was meant to work. And he put it into practice. And he saw Hundreds, if not thousands of people, come to faith because Paul was willing and ready to tell his story. 
And reflecting on how this all works, he says in another passage, a parallel passage here, Romans 10, 14 and 15, how then can they call on the one that they've not believed in? That's a question. And how can they believe in the one of whom they've not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? Or, if you want to you know, break it down, sharing with them. And how can anyone preach or share unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. So let me close with uh, just a little story of my own. Because I don't want to be the pastor you know, that stands up and talks about this but never does it. I don't want to be the one you know, who has lots of good ideas but isn't really putting them into practice himself. That would not make me a particularly effective leader, would it? So Thursday, I'm thinking about all this. I'm writing you know, the devotional reflection for um, day one of our 21-day journey together. I'm, I'm in the early stages of preparing my message for Sunday morning. And I think to myself, okay, God, let's do this. It's Thursday. Who can I share with <laughs> about Jesus? So I go to get my hair cut. Opportunity number one. This young gal named Elena that has cut my hair for, oh, maybe two years now. And she knows I'm a pastor. But, you know, honestly, I, I probably have not been as overt in talking about Jesus with her as I could be. So she asks me, well, what'd you do about the holidays? I mean, she's just making small talk. She's being polite, right? You know, I mean, nothing worse than a, uh, um, a, a what do you call those people, a hair cutter? <laughs> a, a barber. She's not really deaf, whatever you call it. Anyway, nothing worse than somebody that doesn't really talk to you at all and kind of, you know, um, doesn't engage at all personally. So she starts asking me, well, what did you do over the holidays? And, and, and in that moment, I have this question in my mind. Okay, how am I going to answer her? And how can I turn this conversation to Jesus? How can I share about her, what, what I did over Christmas break, in such a way that it actually might make Jesus look attractive and appealing? So I started to tell her about um, the conference that we went to a year ago in Kansas City. And how this year, well, we wanted to go back, but we couldn't go back, so we decided to stay home, and then we ended up watching a bunch of it on, you know, on um, live, um, live stream broadcast. And what was so cool about it, you know, like imagine 20,000 people in an auditorium bringing in the new year with worship and prayer. Imagine that. It's amazing. It's so cool. It's so powerful. And, you know, I mean, she just... Listen, she could, you know, I couldn't, I wasn't going anywhere, and she wasn't going anywhere. She was just cutting my hair. I had a captive audience. And I, I can't stand here and tell you that it changed her life in that moment. I don't, I know she's not a believer, but I don't think that it's, you know, gotten to the point yet where she's ready to say, I'm in, what do I need to do, you know? But the point is, how can we share about Jesus in a way that makes him attractive and appealing? How can we move people just a little bit closer than they were before? And I think, maybe, by God's grace, I was able to do that with her. So then I go on, I have to go uh, get something for the church, um, go to this store over in North Lansing, walk in, 
start to interact with the salesperson. It turns out that he's the new owner of the business. And um, he asks me the question, oh, what do you do for a living? Oh, there you go. Open door, right? Oh, well, I pass through a church. And um, I'm, I'm here to you know, buy a popcorn maker. You know, you know, night, we use it for other events, and blah, 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 you know. And, uh, um, and as it turns out, in this case, we had a nice long conversation about faith because he's a Christian too. Well, I'd have never known that. If I didn't open my mouth to begin the conversation, that probably wouldn't have come out. But it did because I was willing to engage at that moment. And then a uh, third opportunity came up later in the day. So three in one day, which is kind of crazy, but that's what happens when you pray. Like I said, I, I literally prayed in the morning. Okay, God, I want to try this. Let, let me put this into practice. And he gave me three opportunities in one day. So later that night, I take Pascal to basketball practice. We go a little early. We're sitting at Wendy's having dinner. And, um, and there's a guy sitting at the table, like right next to us. And I think to myself, okay, we're going to pray for the meal. Should I like just pray quietly under my breath, or should I just you know go for it? And I think, okay, I'm going for it. This is the theme of the day. I'm going for it. So I pray out loud, loud enough so I know he can hear us. And uh, um, and at the end of the prayer, the guy says, "Amen." And I'm like, okay, I think I got another one, right? In, in this case. He, he was a believer as well, and we had a great conversation. And as it turns out, he's actually visited this church like several years ago, and used to be involved in, in the Vineyard Church up in Owasso. So again, you know, like I would never know. Like you interact with people every day; they cross your path like this, and you can choose to open your mouth or to keep it shut. When you open it, you never know where that conversation will lead. But the beautiful thing is, if it's already a believer, you have fellowship together. You get to appreciate one another. You get to share something in common that you both value. And if it's not a believer, the aim is simple, right? What can I do, what can I say from my own experience that makes Jesus a little more attractive to this person? That's my heart for us. And I believe with all my heart that God is doing this in us. God is bringing us into the season and preparing us for a harvest of changed lives. Are you with me? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for these words from the Apostle Paul. What it means you know, to turn our faith inside out. This inventory. I, I pray that you would just sear it in each one of our minds so that over the next three weeks we would be contemplating, remembering each day. What can I say today? What can I do today to turn my faith inside out? How can I speak to Jesus in a way that would make him appealing and attractive? to those around me.